Learn More, sponsored by the Institut International de Lancy, an education for life at IIL. It's time for Learn More. Dr. Rebecca Weber joins us. And we will be talking today about New Year's resolutions, really good habits to get into as a family. We'll also be talking about homework, screen time and distance learning, and then screen time as playtime as well. And discipline for homework. We're looking at routines and schedules and building structure. Dr. Rebecca Weber, are you ready to tackle these topics? Yes, I hope so. Okay, this is fantastic. So first of all, I guess this is all about getting into some good habits for 2021. I mean, we just want 2021 to be better than 2020, right? Yeah, I think everybody's uh, definitely universally motivated for that. So 2020 was a tough year. We're looking more at working and learning from home. We're talking about education today. And a lot of people want to make New Year's resolutions about better eating and better work and homework schedules. Have you got any tips for what works, what doesn't work? Yeah, I think to begin with, it's um, helpful to remember that New Year's resolutions is kind of an, there's a natural trigger when we change years that we want to kind of get in touch with our ideals about ourselves and things that we might want to change. And something that's helpful is to remember that change takes a really long time. So we need to keep our goals manageable and the fewer the goals, the more likely we are to succeed. So so having this kind of sense that New Year's resolutions is a kind of natural pattern that has happened around the world for a really long time. Um, so it's kind of a normal thing to want to look back and say, let's make some changes. But you have to make sure that those changes are are, are doable. I think I've heard that so many people aren't making New Year's resolutions this <laughs> year because so much feels a little out of our control. Have yeah. you experienced the same Absol- thing? <clears throat> Absolutely. The pandemic has really pointed out how little we control in our lives, which means that when it comes to making New Year's resolutions, you really want to get close to the things that you actually can control. And that's where habits in our everyday lives is is kind of within our reach because um, we have very distinctively experienced that a lot is out of our reach. So when it comes to these New Year's resolutions or just making promises to yourself yeah. at any time throughout the year, even now, sure. what makes these kinds of resolutions more likely to succeed versus uh, just destined for failure? Well, you have to keep in mind that we're talking about changing behavior. And in order to change our behavior, we have to change the way that we think. So when it comes to habits, we need to take a step back and say, okay, why do I want to make this change and who is it for? So if it's for someone else, like I want to lose weight so that my partner thinks I look better, then it's much less likely that you're going to succeed. If you're doing it more for yourself, then it's more likely that you're going to succeed. So first of all is is defining for whom you want the change. Do I want to do more homework so that my parents are happier? Do I want to do my homework more efficiently so that I'm more satisfied as a student? Those that's So that's a kind of change in thinking that then could lead to a change in behavior. But like I said earlier, change in our thinking and therefore behavior takes time. How as a parent can we encourage children to want to change? We're looking yeah. at the kids here. So if you're listening now as a parent and or a guardian and you think I want to instill that desire in, 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 in my kid, how, how do we go about that? So talking with them about goals that they might have that are realistic and making them measurable. So taking baby steps that then the child, for example, could could see themselves. So for example, that could be increasing the number of minutes that they spend working autonomously on their homework, and that that's something that they could see on a piece of paper and and experience that very directly. Um, So making 
your changes measurable and then being able to reward yourself. So this kind of positive reinforcement, they could get a special gift or prize or like increased responsibilities. And then expecting that these changes take time. It's not something that happens overnight. Once again, we're talking about changes in our you know, thinking patterns. And then having like somebody who's a buddy with you and accom- accompanying you to observe those changes. And it kind of increases your tendency to feel responsible if you know somebody's kind of watching out for you. And that could be uh, an older sibling, a parent, a buddy, a coach, a therapist. In just a moment, we'll be catching up and talking about homework specifically yeah. as well and looking at building that into more of a structure, perhaps. Yes. So stay tuned, Dr. Rebecca Weber. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Learn More. Learn More, sponsored by the Institut International de Lancy, an education for life at IIL. Joined by Dr. Rebecca Weber, where we're taking a look uh, at a variety of things this morning on Learn More. But uh, Rebecca, right now, I think one of the banes of many households will be homework. Yes. Yes. Now, homework. Now, of course, uh, homework does take a little bit of discipline uh, on all sides. I think not just uh, the child, but also I think parents as well. Uh, So do you have any, let's say, tips or resolutions about making sure that homework gets done? Well, I think, you know, as we know, homework is teaching our children about a kind of work-life balance relative to their age. So it's something that we as adults also are dealing with and trying to figure out ourselves. So one place to begin is really looking at the way that we ourselves hold up our own boundaries between leisure time, relaxation, resting, and work time, and that we're modeling that for our children. So that's a place to, to begin with, is that we are allowed to have boundaries, and we're allowed to be on, and then we're allowed to be off, and both of those are really important. Um, So we could start there. Then another point is really, are there reoccurring conflicts between, let's say, a parent and a child around homework? And then to start to look at where does the problem lie in these reoccurring buttons being pushed, if you like. Um, and And that could really change from family to family. So one child might be making really a mountain out of a molehill. It's like their homework assignment is not that big of a deal, but they are spending hours stressing about it before they kind of sit down and actually work on it. That would be talking about anxiety and what's going on with that child that they're freaking out about this homework assignment. I sort of remember that when I had kids around trying to do homework, uh, the fact that uh, sometimes, and it's quite frustrating, is they spend more time stressing about it, talking about it, than actually then doing it. And if you try to explain to them, look, if you actually just sat down and did this and stopped moaning about it, then actually it'll be done. Yeah, that's right. So something that we can do to help them with that is, for example, setting a time boundary. So like they're not allowed to spend you know, infinite number of hours on that homework assignment, but rather on Saturday, you can do it between, you know, 10 and 12. You can do that homework assignment if you know that they're capable of actually finishing it within two hours. And that helps to kind of limit their tendency to procrastinate and to really, like I said, turn a molehill into a massive Mount Everest. Um, how, how has uh, the, the effects of the pandemic uh, uh, affected this? Now, of course, so we know the, the kids are in Switzerland, they're in school at the moment. Most yeah. of them, I know yeah. some, uh, huge schools around the country have been closed for various reasons. But um, the pandemic, when, when perhaps that line was blurred between yes. school... Because school is actually sitting at the kitchen table in front of a, of a, of a monitor and then homework. Yeah, so this is the same for, for parents who are right. carrying out the circus act of, act of both parenting and working and you know, running a household. So um, these, as you said, the lines are blurred. And so that 
calls upon us to draw very clear lines that come from within instead of external lines that come from without, like school starting at eight o'clock. Um, so that that is a very big challenge. And I think the, the balancing act has been very delicate for families around the world and continues to be for a lot. Um, I think being able to have a conversation together as a family and to establish a boundaries that are possible depending on the parents' time availability, um, to be able to oversee their children's schooling, the capacity for the child to be sufficiently autonomous. Um, these are conversations that have to be really family-specific, but I think being able to draw up a map and a schedule that fits the family when those boundaries and the external, like I said, um, boundaries have no longer been imposed, to be able to make those lines kind of for yourselves. Okay, I mean, there is a lot to navigate here. I mean, there's, there's is, a lot yeah. to juggle, isn't, yes. isn't it? With all these different aspects. I mean, obviously, the homework needs to get done, but then also, you know, as you know, the, those boundaries, the uh, the fact that uh, the kids need to be told, well, now is homework time, but then uh, now is, uh, well, I'd say TV time these days, yeah. tablet time, you sure. know, but, you know, so, so the... How do we distinguish between, yeah. let's say, like playtime when you're doing video games and school time when it's on your same screen? It's it's not right. always very obvious. And there's also a lot, um, like you said, to navigate. And there's a potential area for a lot of conflict. So something that I am a firm believer in is really preserving the relationship between parent and child. And when it starts to become too conflictual around homework, so one is to say, what is going on with the child? Are they anxious? But another is to say, what's going on with the parents? Are they, you know, why are they, why are they invested in their child's performance? Is it because because they love their child, they see their potential? Is it because they have very, very high expectations for their child and they've forgotten all about the pleasure of learning? Um, you know, th these are questions that we can ask ourselves, where are our intentions? Where are we coming from? Um, the child might not be sufficiently autonomous, might not be able to do it on their own, but might not tolerate the fact that they need help from the parent. That's where having an outside tutor it can be so helpful to preserve, like I said, the relationship so that there's not the child both saying, I need you and I can't stand that I need you and therefore it creates a conflict, but rather just saying, okay, I need some help with maths and getting a math tutor. Um, so it doesn't mean the parent has failed. It means that they're preserving something that's really important, which is the relationship. And also limiting the time as yes. well, saying yeah. this is, okay, we're going to have this on a, maybe a Thursday afternoon. Yeah. There's going to be this tutor. Yeah. There's a limit on that. Yes, of course, that requires, you know, resources to be able to pay somebody. But we have learned with the pandemic that there are lots of resources available online. So there are there are tutors who intervene, you know, through Zoom, et cetera, et cetera. So. I was just looking at that. I mean, again, we're talking about the boundaries and this is homework time, this is school time and all that. But I was thinking, you know, when, uh, when things are being done from home, uh, the parent there was also the role of a quasi-teacher yeah. too, yeah. Uh, which just doesn't help with those boundaries. You know, when we look <laughs> at the effects of distance learning around the world, what we find is that, in fact, it one of the, one of the possibilities for success depends on the parent's resources. And that is both in terms of time, can the, can the parent be available to oversee the child's education? But that also is the parent's resources in terms of their skills. Can they, do they have the competence, the skill set to be able to understand what it is that their child's learning and to be able to, like I said, oversee that? The, the final point is to say, does the parent have the capacity in terms of like emotional stability to be able to tolerate this juggling act that has been huge? So we see around the world that families that were in very vulnerable situations, both economically, but let's say also in terms of a mental health point of view, uh, before the pandemic are worse off 
throughout the pandemic than families that have external, let's say, you know, financial resources, but also those internal resources, such as emotional stability. Um, so we see that the pandemic has, has just aggravated, um, you know, asymmetries and inequalities that previously already existed. Yeah. I also wonder how many, how many parents Googled over this pandemic, like, how do you add up vulgar fractions? Thinking, <laughs> I used to know that when I was a kid. And now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot, a lot of a, a steep learning curve for, for many for everybody. people. Yes. yes, absolutely. But uh, Rebecca, just, just to end though, I mean, yeah. obviously the most important thing really is that at the end of the day, you've got the child and the parent. And, and the fact that one's a child and one's a parent, that relationship has to be maintained. Yes, it does. It does. The most important thing in terms of your children's future well-being is parental presence, which means that the parent is there in a way that they share an interest and pleasure in the interaction with their child. So that means preserving the relationship, which takes the form of parents have some time for themselves, if possible, pleasure that's not related to the child, but that means that they're available to show up when it is time to be with the child. Okay, yep. Rebecca, thanks so much indeed. We'll be back with Rebecca in just a few moments. Uh, take a look uh, in a couple of seconds about uh, screen time and also a bit more on the distance learning. That's all to come. Learn more. Sponsored by the Institut International de Lancy, an education for life at IIL talking this morning about getting into those good habits, building up schedules and getting some structure with Dr. Rebecca Weber, child psychologist. This is all about education this morning. And you know what? We have to talk about this. We have to talk about distance learning, which means more screen time. Before this pandemic, screen time was really something that we maybe tried to limit. Now we're learning on a screen, though. With the pandemic, screens have become a very central part of learning for the privileged. How does this, Rebecca, affect learning and mental health for young people? So the research is new because we're all experiencing still the pandemic. Um, but what it does point out is that there have been a wide variety of mental health issues related to distance learning. One of the, the first points is really around human communication. Both of you work in media. You know of the importance of, of human communication and how challenging it is to begin with. So between what I want to say, what I think I said, what I actually said, what another person heard, wanted to hear, understood, there's about a million possibilities for not <laughs> being understood between two people. Mm. Those delicate moments just get highlighted when it comes to trying to communicate through screens. And when we all kind of dove into the pandemic, we didn't necessarily receive learning as to how can we best communicate through a screen. We just kind of all started to try to do our jobs and to do school through 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 screens. So there's a there's a lot of risk for miscommunication. So how has distance learning and working through a screen affected this very delicate communication? Yeah, so there's been some positive outcomes, if you like. One has been that educational systems have been forced to be really creative um, in terms of teachers revisiting their content and pedagogy, but also administrators looking at how they run a school um, from distance. In terms of children um, and teachers as well, they've had to learn how to master new technologies, which we could say is always a really good thing, uh, you know, to learn a new skill set. Um, and then in terms of parents, they have been asked to be involved in their children's education, which could result in a better relationship between parent and child, depending on that relationship, yeah. um, of course. And then 
encouraging children to be more autonomous because their parents have a lot of other things they have to get on with during the day. So that's a very positive outlook yes. on it. Has it all been positive? <laughs> no. So some students are doing okay. There are a few who are doing great and really excelling in the new environment for those who are still doing distance learning. For example, teenagers having control over their time. That's been a positive outcome. Being able to sleep in later, waking up super early is not natural for a lot of teenagers. Um, that's been, let's say, a good thing for people who are suffering from social anxiety. Being able to be, let's say, a bit more cozy and withdrawn in your bedroom has been helpful, not having to feel so exposed every day in front of your peer group, which let's remember, peers can be cruel to each other in the middle school and high school ages. The majority, however, are not doing well. So the tendencies for uh, anxiety and depression have only been aggravated around the world. That's what the research shows. What does the, whether or not we are experiencing this is very positively or negatively, mm. what does it really depend upon? Yeah, so it depends on families' resources. So if families can provide extra care and support for their children, then it's more likely that those kids are able to cope well. Most families around the world have limited care and support resources, which means in terms of the time to teach their children or accompany them in their learning, the skill, like I've previously mentioned, to teach and to educate their kids, and then the money in terms of the privilege of having technological resources or being being able to, you know, get some external support such as tutoring, etc. Let's talk more about the mental health effects of distance learning during the pandemic. Yes. So across the board, the numbers show that the situation of distance learning has added a level of anxiety and stress for children, teachers and parents, all of which then goes to affect children, right? Um, so in terms of anxiety, we could say those who experience higher anxiety is really around like the lack of in-person contact in terms of helping them to remain motivated. For those for whom the anxiety has been lowered, it's more related to being able to like not stick out because they have in the past maybe a lot of social anxiety, which then makes them different than the rest of their peer group. But then when you're all home on a screen, you're kind of protected. Um, so for some people, having their parents around has aggravated um, some of the mental health issues, like in terms of feeling suffocated or intruded upon by your parents, um, stifling if you're really ready to fly the nest. Uh, but for others, it's been reassuring if you have your parents around 24-7 when you weren't quite ready yet to be out on your own. So there, there, there's a mixed bag. I just want to touch it. You said the word motivation as well. Yeah. And I guess motivation has been difficult to, to foster when you are working at home and behind a screen all the time. Yes. So let's remember the basis of learning. So when you're a brand new baby, you cannot survive unless you are held in the arms of uh, a loving caretaker. And the learning begins in those arms. So that the adult is showing the baby what is safe in the world, what is okay. And that learning begins at birth. Then, you know, let's fast forward to middle schools and, and high schoolers. And what does it take to be able to be receptive to learning is you have to be in a sufficient mental state to be able to have both the space to receive new information, but the like flexibility to say, I don't know everything already. I'm able to receive that which my teacher, who's in an authority position, knows that I don't know. So this is a kind of balanced state, if you like. And when you imagine being alone in your room, not having that interaction with somebody, it, it's difficult to hold on to this motivation all on your own and, and, and difficult to stay in connection with other people which is like the necess necessary base for learning. 
So, in fact, that isolation is more of a risk factor than the distance learning itself. Exactly. So the studies really point out that for psychological well-being, what is more at risk related to children is not the fact that they are learning from screens, but the fact that they are socially isolated. Which means that we really have to put our attention towards this balance between we can use our screens for social interaction because that's all we have right now,、um, but we don't want the kids that then also feel isolated. All right, coming up, we'll talk more about screen time as play time with Dr. Rebecca Weber. Learn more. Sponsored by the Institut International de Lancy, an education for life at IIL. Talking about education this morning, and talking a lot about screen time, in fact, because, well, distance learning a little bit and doing more homework over a screen. Dr. Rebecca Weber is here to tell us whether or not screen time is a good idea for recreational time as well. Are there literal limits on how much we should be looking at a screen, and particularly for young eyes, looking at kids? Okay, so let's let's start with what people recommend. So that, like American Association of Pediatrics, for example, recommends that children under the age of two spend zero minutes directly exposed to a screen. Zero. Zero. That means no time.、Ouch. But let's look at the reality. Sixty-eight <laughs> percent of American families report that their children under the age of two are spending two hours per day direct exposure to screen time. So now, what does that show us? It shows us that between Recommendations and reality. There's a great, great rift. So let's let's say not all screen time is alike, and let's look at how is a device strengthening or weakening relationships within a household, creativity, connectedness, and and so the the major question that we have in mind is not I can't give you how many minutes you should or shouldn't, but rather what is the screen replacing? So the question of a kind of deficit, if you like. Yes, and how much do we need to put Peppa Pig on so that we can put the washing in and run around for a second and deal with our own parental sanity? Exactly. So I'm a big <laughs> proponent of pro- of preserving the relationship between parent and child, and that if that requires, you know, parents having a mini vacation or some breathing space,、um, which is putting their kids in front of a show for whatever amount of time, then that might therefore preserve the actual possibility for connection between parent and child. Do you think、yeah. there's ever a, a kind of a blur of kids not really realizing that anything through a screen is not real life? Is there this sort of virtual reality blur? Yes. Well, I mean that also depends on the age of the child. So,、um, if we're getting into like older children, then let's talk about teenagers and you know the experience of who they are and the sense of self and identity and absolute blur between what is said on you know text or social media versus what is said in real life,、um, like in a face-to-face communication.、Uh, yeah. I mean, this is just like an extension, a kind of avatar of who people are. So this is a large question.、Um, and and to get back to like the the in terms of the time, I mean, this is. Uh, rife for conflict. My suggestion to parents of children of all ages is to have a conversation outside of the conflict to really break it down. And if you're coming from a place of being worried about your child, say that. Talk about what you feel and talk about what you would like and why. And then look for a compromise between what your child feels and what they want and what you want. So there has to be a kind of solution based that's not top down, but rather implicating your child in that solution. I mean, because the whole of this issue, when it comes down to、uh, screen time, you can see within the household discipline is. Yeah. Could become a little bit of an issue, like if if there's a, if there's a breach of those rules that perhaps have been laid out. What then actually happens? How should the、uh, the parent look at、uh, the screen time and、uh, too much time on the screen, too much 
silly time spent on the screen. Yeah, I you mean, know? and understandably, like, let's take a 17-year-old who's, you know, every activity that they've been participating in has all been shut down. Of course, they're going to be on their phones at night in their bed or playing video games all night long. I mean, what else do they have right now? So we can understand that it, both sides of the story, if you like. Um, yes, we could say, but going back to discipline, when you have a child, by the time they're four months old, they're already starting to test your boundaries. And that, that is part of what children do. They test their parents' boundaries, and that's part of um, a healthy part of growing up, and that's something that children will continue to do forever, which means adult children also test their <laughs> elderly parents' boundaries. Um, so being able to tolerate the love-hate that is implicit in all relationships is really vital. And that means being able to say, okay... I'm going to show up for my child. I'm going to give them eye contact and show them that they are important, that my screen is very seductive, but not only. That means I can also put it down. Showing up for your child, but then also having a clear set of boundaries, which means being able to say, when I'm with you, I'm with you. And I also allow you to have some, you know, free time on your own to be able to do what you want with your screens. Okay, I mean, there is a, the whole thing, and it goes back to this, this classic thing we were talking about earlier on, is, is creating those boundaries so that the, the, the child knows exactly when they can be on the screen and what they can be doing on the screen. Because yeah, as yeah, we yeah. said earlier on as well, sometimes that screen, screen time, you know, screen time with your chemistry teacher is not screen time yeah. <laughs> when it comes down to what the parents should be ruling on. And le like I said, not all screen time is alike. So when it comes to, let's say, videoing with the grandparents who you're not able to physically see in person right now, that's not the same thing as, let's say, going down a rabbit hole on YouTube, which you might be right. worried about with your child. I would, like, in terms of the content, I mean, I think that parents have been quite creative in terms of having, you know, boundaries and limitations as to the timing that, they're, that children have access to the internet, but then also the content. And uh, once again, have these conversations outside of the moment and express your concerns. Why are you worried about your child? And that, in fact, you want to protect them. And that's what boundaries are for from the very beginning is being able to protect your child, to protect them from themselves, but to protect them from parts of the world that are, in fact, dangerous. Uh, this is really important. But let's not forget that there will be fights, that things might really blow up and get quite volcanic and s sometimes, and that that's um, also a normal part of life. Um, it's not about never having rupture. Um, it's not about being a saint with your child all the time. It's about being able to repair. So the connectivity, the capacity to come back together is what we're looking to strengthen between parents and children. I, I can't help thinking at the moment, as we talked about, I mean, at the moment we've got most schools are, are functioning so the kids are going to school. Uh, but other things have shut down. So when it comes down to the weekends, you know, what the kid may have wanted to have done over the weekend, yeah. you can't do now. No. Um, so should the parents perhaps at this stage say, look, at the moment, Johnny, you can do, you, you know, you can do this. You can spend that time on the screen. You can do that. But when things start to reopen or when you can start to go and play mm. football on a Saturday, then that sort of thing is going to change. So yeah. Johnny knows that Setting actually up. at the moment, this is what I can do because I can't do anything else. But yes. it's not going to be life from now on. Yeah, I think setting up expectations and also we are in this together. I think one of the specific aspects of the pandemic is a really a collapse between major differences within the generations. We're all in this together. Um, whether you're an adult or you're a child, we're all experiencing very similar frustrations. When it comes to like the psychological role of stress, if you like, what we're looking at is to be able to increase what we call tolerable stress. And this is 
stress that becomes tolerable because we've learned, okay, I can experience these very challenging feelings, but I can come back from them. They don't destroy me or they don't induce me to want to destroy other people. When stress becomes toxic, it's really because it becomes a kind of traumatic state where we can't make something of it and it really prevents us from being able to get on with enjoying ourselves socially and academically. Um, so this is what, as parents, we are really modeling. We can say, whoa, I was so upset and I really blew up at you um, and I was really having a hard time and showing them through our own, you know, description of why we blew up at them and, you know, why I needed, mommy needs to have a break right now. So I'm going to watch this show for 15 minutes or I'm going to put you in front of the show for 15 minutes. It's talking them through it so that they learn the process of rupture and then repair. And what we want is to preserve overall that connectivity. And, and that includes frustrations, which this pandemic has been rife with. Rebecca, thanks so much indeed. That was uh, Dr. Rebecca Weber there, taking a look at uh, screen time, discipline, and all of those associated issues. It's 14 to 10. Learn more. Sponsored by the Institut International de Lancy, an education for life at IIL.